Good morning to each and every one of you. Thank you for watching. We are starting a new topic today, a new class. We are looking at women of the Bible this week. And so uh, thank you for being here and excited uh, that you are able to join me this morning. Uh, so yesterday was Mother's Day, so I thought today we would start with the most important mother that whoever lived for the, the world that is, and that is, of course, Mary, the mother of Jesus. So uh, we are looking at Mary, the mother of Jesus today, what the Bible says about her, what we know about her, and then what theology says about her. There's some things that different uh, church groups believes about her, and so what are some of those different things, and what do we say about those as Lutherans? So that's what we'll look at today. So Good morning to each and every one of you. Thank you for being here today. Okay, let's go ahead and get started. Uh, what do we know about Mary? Uh, well, we know that Mary was a Jewish girl. She, she was a peasant. She wasn't wealthy. Uh, she lived in a small village called Nazareth, kind of back out of the way. And uh, she became pregnant and married Joseph. And uh, uh, then she bore a son and named him Jesus. She watched her son teach and preach in the Galilean countryside, and then she watched him get into danger as he challenged the uh, religious leaders of the day. Uh, he was arrested and crucified, and she watched all of that happen. We know a little bit about her because of what the, 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 the Gospels say, but we don't, you know, the Gospels are mostly about Jesus, and so we don't actually know that much about Mary. So uh, what do we know about Mary? Well, well, first we know, uh, the first thing we know about Mary is from Luke chapter 1 at something called the Annunciation. And if, if you look back on the calendar, just a couple weeks ago, we celebrated, it was Annunciation Day. It was the day that the angel came to Mary and announced to her that she was going to be pregnant, uh, that she was going to be pregnant, and that her son was going to be the, the Messiah. So, Luke 1, verses 30 to 31, the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God, and now you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you will name him Jesus. So Mary becomes pregnant, unmarried. She is not married yet. Uh, and in that culture, that was very difficult. Even today, that's still very difficult, but it's much more so much more acceptable in today's society than 2,000 years ago. People were not seen as individuals as they are now. They're seen as part of a family group and the members of the family. Any action of the individual reflected on the whole family. So Mary's family would have found it very difficult to believe that there was no human father. And so her pregnancy would have brought dishonor on all of them. And so it was, it was a really big deal. For everybody involved, right, that Mary became pregnant. I mean, to say that this was a really big deal is an understatement of the century. This is a huge deal that Mary becomes pregnant and there's no father. And so now it's like, what is she going to do? What is she going to do? And obviously, you know, she's scared. And what's going to happen? And the angel said to her, do not be afraid. Do not be afraid. The thing, you know, the, the most powerful part of this is that God, if God were to enter into the world uh, through a through a human mother, think of all the human mothers that God could have chosen. Queens, princesses, you know, people of importance, people of wealth, people of religious whatever. But instead, it's Mary. It's this young girl. It's this young girl who comes from a, a family who has very little, who lives in a a backwater town that uh, of not importance of um, and, and so that this is the woman that God chooses to say all of history is going to be blessed through you. Uh, how powerful 
is that. And so Mary gets this news and what does she do? She's like, I, I, I don't know what, what am I supposed to do? And so she goes to visit her older cousin, Elizabeth, who's also pregnant, pregnant with John the Baptist. Uh, and so, you know, she goes to visit Elizabeth. Maybe, maybe it's a, I'm going to visit her to, to get away, to get away from everything, to get away from everyone for a little while, to go and, and to be in a safe place where there's not going to be so much shame and ridicule. You know, this happened all the time where somebody would get pregnant and they would go away for a little while. So uh, this unmarried pregnant girl uh, is in real danger. And so she goes to see Elizabeth and, and she has no idea, right? No idea what kind of response she's going to get from Elizabeth when she gets there. Is it going to be one of shame? Is it going to be one? You know. So um, when Elizabeth sees Mary, she recognizes what's going on. And she says, Luke chapter 1, verses 42 to 45. In a loud voice, she ex- exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you will bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is she who has believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. So uh, Elizabeth, at the moment she hears Mary's voice, she's just overcome with joy, uh, with this understanding and realization that Mary is carrying Jesus, the Savior of the world. How comforting that is. And so then Mary's response to her is what we... Uh, what we call the Magnificat. And if you saw the videos I posted earlier, one of them is of uh, Taylor and Vanessa singing the Magnificat, this prayer of Mary, this prayer of Thanksgiving. Mary's the most important woman that ever lived. Uh, and, and this prayer of hers is, is, is really in- incredibly powerful, incredibly powerful. So, okay, so then she goes and she visits her relative Elizabeth. Now she's got one other conversation to have, and that is the conversation with a fella named Joseph, right? She was engaged to be married to Joseph and now she's pregnant. And so Joseph's going to be like, well, what? How? What? Uh, there's no way. There's no way that we can get married uh, now. You're pregnant. And so Joseph is reluctant to marry her, knowing that he's not the father of her child. But in a dream, an angel comes to him in this in a remarkable and amazing way and says, you need to marry her and you need to you need to take Mary as her wife and you need to raise this child. And so Matthew one twenty four says that when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. We don't hear much about Joseph after that. We don't hear much from Joseph after that. So uh, we know in Luke chapter 2, verses 41 to 52, Jesus is 12 years old and they're in Jerusalem and the parents, his parents leave, uh, you know, they're in a big party and they leave, they leave Jesus behind. It's this home alone moment, right? Jesus is home alone, uh, but more like left in Jerusalem. Uh, and they travel for a day before they realize that Jesus isn't with them. And then they turn around and come back. Like, where did he go? I can't believe we left our son. And of course, he's in the temple courts listening to the preachers and so, or to the teachers. This is the last mention of or reference to Joseph in the, in the Gospels. So Mary was most likely widowed, uh, most likely widowed. So if Jesus was 12 then, and then his ministry starts sometime around 30, uh, so there's 18 years there where we don't know much, and uh, somehow Joseph loses his life, or he ends up traveling far away to, to look for work or whatever. We don't know. We know very little about Joseph. We know less about his relationship with Mary. Okay, so we know that Mary gives birth to Jesus, uh, Mary and Joseph attend a census taking in Bethlehem with Joseph's family's ancestral town, uh, and she gives birth to Jesus there. 
Uh, if you saw, I posted a few minutes ago the video of Linus telling us what that was all about. Uh, you know, we, we all know this story, right? She gives birth, lays Jesus in a manger, you know, the angels and the shepherds and all that stuff, right? It's a, it's a wonderful story about how Jesus came into the world. But, uh, you know, Jesus couldn't have come into the world if Mary wasn't on board with it. Uh, and so we have this picture of, of Mary, a young girl who's incredibly courageous, incredibly brave, uh, who's willing to go out of, you know, to, to put herself out there to uh, bring the Messiah into the world, to put herself in danger to bring the Messiah into the world. Okay, so Luke and Matthew tell us the story of Jesus's birth. Mark doesn't and John doesn't. So what does John say about Mary? Uh, John's gospel, there's only two references to Mary. The first is at the wedding of Cana in Galilee, which is John chapter 2, which is a really great verse, a uh, great great story. So they're at a wedding. Mary's at a wedding with Jesus. And, and verse 3 says, When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Jesus replied, Woman, why do you involve me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, verse 5, Do whatever he tells you. And I think, I think it's great that Mary's like, You know what? I'm not even going to respond to Jesus. I know Jesus doesn't want to do this. I know he thinks it's not his time, but I know he can fix this. So I'm not even going to respond to him. I'm just going to tell the servants, do whatever he tells you. Basically saying, I have told you what to do, son. I'm not asking you. So do it. Fix this problem. You know, traditionally, Mary is often seen as quiet and submissive, but this is a woman who's assertive, and she insists that Jesus helps in a difficult situation. It's great. It's Mary telling Jesus what to do. Jesus has this this power, this power to fix the problem, but also Jesus is Mary's son, and this is a mother telling her son what to do. She's not asking him. She's telling him, Jesus, solve this problem. And he says, well, it's not my, I'm, in, I'm ignoring that you even said that, right? How many parents do that? I'm ignoring the fact that you even gave, you know, talked back to me. I'm just, just do it, right? Uh, I, I love that. And then the other part uh, is she's there for the crucifixion in John's gospel. So John 19, now this is an interesting part. John 19, 25 through 27. Jesus is on the cross when he sees his mother there and the disciple whom he loves standing nearby. He said to her, woman, here is your son. And to the disciple, here is your mother. From that time on, the disciple took her into his home. That's John 19, 25 through 27. Mary, uh, so this is interesting. On the cross, Jesus looks out, sees his mother, sees his best friend, John, and says, from now on, you're going to go and spend, John's going to take care of you. But what's interesting is that Mary had other children born after Jesus, and there are references to them in Matthew. There's references to them in other places, but in Matthew, Matthew 12, 46, while Jesus was still talking to the crowd, his mother and brother stood outside wanting to speak to him. Matthew 13, Jesus comes home and starts teaching, and the people of the area said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? They said, isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother's name Mary? And aren't his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? So Mary had other children. Mary had other children. Uh, they said, this is the carpenter's son, uh, Joseph. Why would Jesus tell Mary she's going to live with John? Why wouldn't Jesus trust his brothers, James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? Isn't that weird that Jesus had a brother named Judas? Why wouldn't he say, oh, oh, now my brothers are going to take care of you? Right? I mean, that, that just doesn't make sense to me. I mean, if you were one of Jesus's other brothers, how would you respond to that? Like, no, my mother's not going to live with John. I'm going to take care of my mother. What are you talking about? Don't be ridiculous. What are you talking about? Why, why would, 
why would you expect that mom not going to take care of mom? Um, I, so that's one of the, that kind of confuses me. And then, so Jesus dies, Jesus is risen from the dead, and the early church gets going in Acts chapter 1. Mary is referenced in Acts chapter 1, uh, verses 13 and 14. It says, when they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James and Simon, and Judas, son of James. They all joined together constantly in prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. So Mary is shown as a woman who uh, devoted herself to prayer within the early Christian group, within the early Christian church, the community. What's interesting is that Jesus dies. She watches Jesus die. When he is risen from the dead, he obviously went to see his mother. Uh, and so she spends time with him when he's risen. And after he uh, ascends into heaven, she continues on Jesus's mission. She continues to be part of the early church. She continues to proclaim this message. She continues to meet with the disciples, and she continues to pray. Uh, so that's a, a powerful, a powerful part of this is that she's not just Jesus's mother; she's a follower of Jesus, uh, and she works towards the continuation of the church and his movement uh, following his death, resurrection, and ascension. Okay, that's what the Bible says about Mary. Now, what? What does theology say about Mary? What do the what are the theologies of the different churches about Mary? Well, last week I was talking about the theology of C.S. Lewis and I talked about the Immaculate Conception. And one of the things that I did was I made a mistake. I made a mistake when I talked about the Immaculate Conception. I did so talking about it as if I was talking about the virgin birth. Okay, so the virgin birth and the Immaculate Conception are two different things, and I thank Pastor Kathy Baines for uh, helping me out with this. Okay, so the virgin birth is um, the formula of Concord. Lutherans believe this that Jesus demonstrated his divine majesty even in his mother's womb in that he was born of a virgin. Okay, so the virgin birth is what the Bible says, that Mary was a virgin and that Jesus was born of a virgin. Okay, we believe that. The Immaculate Conception then, this is where this is where I was confused and this is where I think a lot of us are confused. The Immaculate Conception does not mean, does not just mean that Mary was a virgin, but it means that Mary was born without original sin, meaning that when Mary was conceived, she was conceived in an unnatural way as well. And, and I believe it's that she was conceived when her mother kissed her father. Uh, and so Mary was born without original sin so that Jesus could be born without original sin. Uh, and therefore, Jesus could take on this, this role of, of holiness and this role of righteousness that would be impossible for human beings. So the Immaculate Conception refers to Mary being born without original sin. This is a Roman Catholic belief, one that uh, I believe Luther held uh, because Luther was brought up in the Roman Catholic Church, but, but I, I don't believe that this is one that we need to hold on. This is not part of the Apostles' Creed, and this isn't one that we need to hold on to as strict doctrine. And then there's the perpetual virginity of Mary, which is the understanding or the belief that Mary gave birth to Jesus, she was a virgin, and then she remained a virgin for the rest of her life. This is one that the Roman Catholics believe, uh, and this is one that is actually argued about that is part of Lutheran confessions. Okay, the formula of Concord, it is written in there, therefore Mary is truly the mother of God and yet remained a virgin. What does that mean? Does that mean that Mary remained a virgin for the rest of her life? 
or does that mean that Mary remained a virgin until Jesus was born? So people argue about this. What does that mean in the formula of Concord? Does it mean that we believe that according to the formula of Concord, we believe in the perpetual virginity of Mary? I, for one, would argue that there's no way that Mary could have remained a virgin if she had other children. I mean, the Bible clearly talks about how Jesus has brothers and sisters. Jesus has a family. There are other members of the family. So the perpetual virginity of Mary is not something that I agree with. And then the the media tricks, the media tricks, I don't know, I don't know how to pronounce it, but basically that, that she is this intercessor standing between God and humanity, and that uh, we pray to Mary and that Mary intercedes with her son on our behalf. Luther claimed that... Though Mary possessed many virtues, she could not intercede for sinners. Uh, Luther certainly argued that Mary was a woman of great favor, a woman who God loved, and all those things, and Mary was a blessing to all of humanity, but we do not need to pray to Mary. We can pray directly to God because God is a loving God. Now, if God wasn't a loving God, uh, if God wasn't a loving God, then there there were certainly someone that we could uh, intercede to, and that would be Mary. So, okay, so what do we know about Mary? We know that Mary was a woman of profound faith. We know that woman Mary was a woman of profound courage and that her faith and her courage caused her to say, or motivated her, whatever, to say yes to a task that was much bigger than herself, to a task that was for the greater good, even though it put herself in danger. And so she is a woman of great faith, of great courage, and one that we can look to and say she had the the best intentions of others. She was looking forward, uh, she was looking towards how she could best help humanity more so than what would make her life easy. Does that make sense? Did I say, I mean, I'm kind of, my brain's going all over the place right now, but, but she was more concerned with helping humanity than making her life easy. And so she accepted this responsibility to be the mother of Jesus, to bring about, to bring this new life into the world uh, so that Jesus could change the world. And so she was willing to do that, and she was willing to do whatever it took, including watching her son die, her son who she loved. So we are grateful for Mary, and we are grateful for uh, all the servants of the gospel, all the servants throughout Scripture and throughout history who have looked at their life as uh, an opportunity to serve God's people uh, and not uh, not to be too concerned with their own comfort and their own well-being. Uh, and so uh, thankful uh, for Mary and for all those people. So this week we will continue studying women of the Bible. Tomorrow we're going to study Ruth. So hope you can join me tomorrow. Hope you all have a wonderful day. Great to see you. Take good care of yourselves. I am praying for you and uh, enjoy the rest of your day.